What I've learned in my career is that we could bring in a lot of uh, solutions, but if you don't have a problem, right, the solution might be sexy, but if that problem isn't being solved, then that solution is pretty worthless, right? Basically, you're just uh, worthless is, is actually an understatement because you're, you're just blowing through money. And that's basically like our stack right now, it's lean and everything provides a clear function, right? Hey, Dan McGaw here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of McGaw.io, the leading tech stack management firm. Each week, I speak with executives to find out the stack they're using to drive revenue and make their goals a reality. This week, I have Marty Link, the VP of Sales and Marketing at Monster Lead Group. Monster Lead Group is a data-driven direct mail company and developer of its own marketing and sales technology. They work with clients in financial services and the mortgage industry and manage the direct mail process to getting them their new deals. Marty tells us all about the stack he's using to drive revenue. As the VP of Sales and Marketing, he's positioned to keep those two teams aligned, avoiding siloing across the organization. This avoids potential bottlenecks that come from not being able to share data, tactics, and results freely between these departments. Their big, hairy, audacious goal is to help a billion customers make better informed financial decisions. We'll dive into some of the tools Marty is leveraging to help reach their goals. Tools like ZoomInfo, Gong.io, and also Lucky Orange. Marty also has some interesting perspectives on how the believability of AI can be improved by incorporating human error. We'll talk all about that and more in our conversation. My name is Marty Link. I work with uh, Monster Lee Group right outside Baltimore, and I'm the VP of Sales and Marketing. Uh, joined the company about a year and a half ago. I got recruited from uh, another company that I was with, and uh, when I first checked them out, the company, you know, on the surface didn't really inspire me or excite me, but I got a chance to talk to the owner and uh, a few people at the company and they explained what they did that uh, made them really special. And, and as soon as I talked to them, uh, you know, they convinced me that this was the right place for me to be. Now, what is, how do you guys make money? Like, what is the business model? Like, who are your customers? In a nutshell, we are competing with um, the traditional direct mail uh, providers that are out there. We use direct mail to generate leads for our customers and it's, on the surface, that's what most people would look at us and say. But uh, as you actually talk to us, we are much more than that. We use data to really inform, you know, a lot of the things that a digital marketer is going to do uh, where they're using data to really target effectively their audience. We're using that offline. So we have a very, um, you know, very broad uh, scope of data that is proprietary and, and we're using that to score and rank our rank consumers, then our client base is able to reach them with a personalized message over direct mail, which direct mail has typically a higher response rate than digital right now because there's actually less competition in the marketplace. Now, what are the, what are the typical types of clients that you're working with? Yeah, so right now we uh, focus primarily on financial services. We started as, uh, you know, focus on mortgage bankers and uh, lenders, and uh, we're branching out into a few other um, verticals likewise. In your role as VP of Marketing and Sales, like what's the benefit that you see by having those two types of roles combined, right? Because usually you have like VP of Marketing, VP of Sales, but you're both under one person. Like what's the benefit of that? Obviously, some of the um, functions that a uh, typical uh, sales lead or marketing lead are shared with different people on my team or you know other departments. But for the most part, you know, if you think back, you know, twenty or thirty years ago, marketing is really in, in a lot of situations going to be focused on brand and, and siloed from sales. Right? Sales could be 
tasked with generating revenue and marketing is going to be tasked in a lot of ways with either, you know, generating leads solely or growing the brand. And as time's moved on, that's really changed, right? The two have really been merged into, you know, a single entity where you have to make sure that information is passed, that there are no silos and that, you know, you're able to be pretty agile. And so that's really the big advantage is that, you know, on one day when I'm talking to the SDRs and we want to uh, adjust our, our call scripts, we can then pass it over to the sales team and let them know what's going to happen. Or if we want to roll out uh, an incentive, you know, it's very easy to promote that through sale. I mean, through marketing and then bring the sales into the loop in the same, you know, same vein. What's the big, hairy, audacious goal? Ultimately, what we came to at the beginning of this year was that we wanted to help the end consumer. And so really our goal is to end up helping a billion consumers, you know, make an informed decision that betters their lives, right? Because there's so many, you know, there's so many people, especially on the financial services side, they're trying to take uh, advantage of a consumer. And so that's something that I think from a business perspective that makes us really unique is that, you know, we're not going to work with, uh, you know, a shady company. We want to make sure that we're also helping the consumer. That's awesome. I mean, I'm happy to hear that you have like kind of a mission, right? Your job is to help a billion consumers. It's not to generate a billion dollars from a bunch of banks. That's pretty commendable. Yeah. What are the main like KPIs and goals you have set that you have to reach? Fantastic question. You know, as a company, we each department has uh, metrics that their team members, their department heads are obviously reporting on. From the sales and marketing side, we're starting at the top of the funnel and we're going all the way down, right? And so from the highest level, it's really making sure that the brand is visible. And so whether that's on the paid ad side or, you know, organic, you know, on the digital in either one of those scenarios, making sure that we have uh, uh, enough visibility for the right people. So moving on down conversion rates, right? And then when we go all the way down the funnel, it's uh, making sure that we're not churning customers so that we're bringing the right people in, looking at that, looking at our acquisition cost and not just marketing CAC, right? Not just marketing acquisition cost. But uh, what the full acquisition cost is of our client to bring on a client and what the payback period is. So, you know, when are we actually making money off of uh, a client that comes in and then kind of matching that up on our, on our, I guess, our churn rate and seeing are we net positive or are we losing money? Now, you have to acquire these, it sounds like, financial services companies, right, to be able to continue running the services, of course. What are the strategies that you're using to acquire these companies, but as well as hit those goals you just talked about, of course, the mail delivered, things like that, conversion rate? What strategies are you rolling out? Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of them. I would say that you know, it starts from, you know, really looking for the low-hanging fruit. And so we try to capture anybody who's out there searching, and that's, uh, you know, really going to be pretty easy, right? Making sure that if they are doing a search, you know, whether it's in Google or Bing or whatever, that we're showing up and they're coming to the right page and that they're finding some relevant information, right? And then essentially they're going to fill out a form and and we're going to talk to them. That's going to carry over also into paid. But then we one thing that's unique about this industry is that it's more like a franchise model as far as mortgages go, where there might be a parent organization that is uh, licensing multiple locations, but those locations are operating as single entities. So for us, it's going to be a lot of referral business and managing relationships and making sure that we're um, maintaining those contacts, you know, over time, if they are switching companies, maintain that relationship and, and uh, bring our business with them. I mean, is it a mainly paid media strategy? Is it mainly an SEO media strategy? You know, that's a good question, Dan, and not an easy one to answer. When I joined the company, you know, we basically started from scratch in a lot of ways. And so I've been here for a year and a half and and 
what we needed right away was we needed to start generating some revenue and some leads and and basically testing the different points in the customer journey, figure out where we had leaks in the funnel and, and what we could do to uh, optimize it. And so, you know, it started out the easiest way to do that is going to be paid. And my background, uh, you know, for I guess almost 20 years, I've been doing, you know, paid on some level. And so, you know, I set up some paid search campaigns and let those run and brought in some leads at a, uh, a good price. But now, uh, over the last few months, we're really trying to push more organic. That's going to be more sustainable and cost-effective for us. Yeah, so paid and then going in, now going into SEO. So is that the primary channel? Because you had also mentioned a lot of referrals. So it sounds like you do a good job, so people send people to you as well. Yeah, so there's going to be an element of it. And this is, I think, where there's a divide between sales and marketing, right? Marketing is going to generate leads. We're going to go out and, uh, what's the, uh, Ross say, Throw nets out, right? Isn't that what he says? Bring in a whole bunch of people and just basically see who you know what type of fish you catch or whatever. And that's what marketing is going to do. We're going to bring in a whole bunch, then we're going to pass them over to the SDRs and let them qualify them. While the sales team is uh, going more hunting, they're finding uh, specific companies that they want to speak with or work in the the um, contacts that they have to build up their network and generate more referrals. The idea of casting a wide net comes from Aaron Ross. Aaron's known for his outbound strategies that generated over $100 million in revenue for Salesforce. In his book, Predictable Revenue, he breaks leads down into three different categories. First type of lead is spears. These are handled by the outbound sales team. They're leads that you want to hunt and play an active role in acquiring. The pros of spears are you can target people who need your solution the most. The cons are they're expensive to obtain and need significant time investment to convert. The second type of leads are seeds. As you might imagine, these are leads you are planting for the long term. Your foundation is relationship building and word of mouth referrals. They're time consuming to nurture, but they have a very high conversion rate. Lastly are nets. These you can imagine are throwing out as many different nets, so to speak, into the marketing landscape with your campaigns and seeing what you catch. This is the classic inbound marketing. The benefit here is that once the lead intake process is set, the leads will keep flowing in. Unfortunately, though, as Martin says, not many of these leads will ultimately convert. Here's a clip from Aaron Ross on seeds, nets, and spears. At some point, you want all three. Seeds, nets, and spears, really, you know, word of mouth coming in and growing, marketing and outbound, or word of mouth, inbound and outbound, however you want to call it. But, you know, one word of, here's where you go wrong. If, you know, one word of mouth lead might be worth 50 marketing leads or 15 outbound leads, right? Now back to Martin. You've talked a little bit about kind of like some of your strategies, your goals, what the company does. I'd love to kind of learn from like a 10-foot view, like what are some of the tools that you're using? How are you using them? Uh, I know you have things like ZoomInfo and Gong.io. You got a pretty sophisticated stack. Like how are you, what, what do you got in there? Yeah, so I mean, uh, you went through a couple of them. I mean, I, I tallied up the ones that we're using on a regular basis, and we have about 40 tools in our stack. Wow. I think to some people, that's gonna you're going to hear, oh, 40, that sounds pretty typical, right? When I joined the company, what I, I think what I've learned in my career is that we could bring in a lot of uh, solutions, but if you don't have a problem, the solution might might be sexy. But if that problem isn't being solved, then that solution is pretty worthless, right? Basically, you're just uh, worthless is is actually an understatement because you're you're just blowing through money. 
And that's basically like our stack right now, it, it's lean and everything provides a, a clear um, function, right? And, and that's what we've been working on. So we use HubSpot and, and Salesforce as our primary CRMs. And then we also have uh, a couple of cool outliers that most people aren't familiar with. Like we use a platform called Relative Insights that does um, sentiment analysis and comparison. So like essentially we could dump in 20 competitors that we have and compare their uh, content versus ours and see what the differences are, you know, how they're talking about their products and really drill down into that. So we have a couple of cool uh, items in our stack. So when you think about like the top of the funnel, right? Like what are the tools that you're using to find new customers? Like you had mentioned your sales team's doing hunting. Like are they using any prospecting tools? What's all the way at the top of the funnel? Yeah, so we try to go about this uh, intelligently with um, somewhat of an, an ABM model, an account-based um, marketing model. Uh, but I wouldn't call it account-based marketing. And I'm going to walk you through this. It's going to be a little bit complicated, but we have a really good idea who our customer is. And then we are able to... Um, pull the data from our own database and figure out, hey, here's a list of 1,000, 10,000, whatever it is, companies that would fit that bill. The obvious uh, question mark that we have first is, are they using direct mail, right? Because if they're not, that's a big sell. So then we use another platform called uh, Compra Media by Mintel. And Compra Media is a, a crowdsourced platform that's going to pull in different pieces of mail, right? It's just people are going to share uh, mailers that they're getting. And uh, Compra Media is going to give us an idea of, you know, how many pieces of mail different companies are sending and what their messaging looks like. So we can jump in and say, okay, well, of those companies that we pulled from our own database, how many are running direct mail campaigns? And then we use Zoom Info to uh, run a contact list against that you know, so we we actually know who to reach out to. That gives us then the ability to drop that list into uh, social or search ads so that we can target them specifically. But also our SDRs are doing cold outreach over email and uh, cold calling as well. Now, I, I noticed that you're also using Clearbit. Are you using Clearbit for prospecting? No. So, we're well, I guess on one level we are. We're using it to uh, uncover traffic to the website and also as the, sh- uh, the form shortener. We went back and forth on uh, whether or not we were going to use ZoomInfo's um, solution for that. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, I just I was a big fan of um, the technology behind the scenes with um, with Clearbit. You know how quickly it was able to ping their database and uncover an IP. You know, different uh, data points and shorten a form or uh, enrich our database if we went that route. How are y'all using Gong? Like, what's your process and how are you setting that up? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's one of the platforms that I've totally geeked out about over the last couple of months since we brought it on board. We just brought it on uh, this uh, in 2022. And the intention there obviously was what they um, promote most, which is going to be just, you know, kind of sales coaching, right? Uh, revenue intelligence, what's going to be driving revenue and what do those conversations look like? What's kind of come out of it is also when we have our pipeline calls uh, as a team and one-on-one pipeline calls, you know, whether it's SDRs or uh, sales reps, helping them understand what they can do a little bit better and highlighting different different activities that they're taking. But it calls those things out either individually or at scale in, in aggregate, which is really uh, pretty interesting. You know, if I can give you an example. Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, one of the cool things that uh, one of our SDRs, uh, she is outstanding and very excitable. And one of the first things that um, I talked to her about is uh, that Gong called out after about two or three dozen calls that she had that she was speaking in like 0.48 seconds after someone else stopped speaking. So she wasn't giving people really a chance to, to rest. There was no pause there. And basically it was, hey, look, across all these calls, you're speaking too quickly. You need to take a breath, 
you know, bring it back a little bit. She started doing that. And then we were able to see, you know, by marking that interaction, we were able to see the change in her calls, how they progressed and moved to next steps. And she was able to actually see the impact of these little changes that she was making. You're making me feel like I need to pause longer after you answer a question. I guess, yeah, you know what? Don't (laughs) don't get in the gong. You probably won't sleep as well at night. That is probably true. I am horrible in the sales process because I am always uh, giving people a hard time. So yes, you were probably right. I need to buy Gong. Uh, I'm totally uh, crazy there. Now, Gong does that all on its own. Like you don't have to like mine these. It just tells you like, oh, there's an issue with pausing or how fast they're talking. Yeah, so there's some things that you can set up, like you could set up uh, your competitors and and Gong will tell you how frequently competitors are mentioned. But then also, you know, let's tell you at what point in the uh, sales process the pricing is discussed, how many people are involved in that sales process, uh, how many emails are going back and forth, whether a contact is ghosting and becoming unresponsive, different things like that. So if a deal is at risk of um, falling through, they'll, uh, and we're going through the pipeline, I'll be able to call those things out and ask, you know, if no next steps have been, uh, if next steps haven't been identified, you know, really call those things out without having to spend a good bit of time to actually dive into those things. Mm, Yeah. Now, how big is the sales team? Uh, it's relatively small. So we have uh, we have a few external uh, members who are strictly by commission through referrals. Then we have um, four people who are operating as either sales or direct sales support, you know, who are also handling those calls, and two SDRs. And then the owner, myself, and the chief operating officer will also handle calls as well. How does the owner handle his gong.io reviews? I have to wonder. I just write them on pieces of paper and I, I slide them across the table. We're in group settings. He's a big guy. Yeah. So, no, he's pretty, <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, he's really humble. He's a great guy. So I think if I told him he was terrible, he would actually take it. You know, if I can just tell you a real quick story about him, Dan. So he owned a mortgage company and way back when, before uh, computers were recording calls, he set up uh, tape recordings in his uh, first company so that he could record his team and give them feedback on a weekly basis. So he was really doing what Gong does before any of these companies came around. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an innovator in a lot of ways. Yeah. So he's got to be a big fan of Gong. He's got to be like all in on that one. Yeah. You know, he's the reason why we uh, built our, our platform for our own um, customer success team to use. Gong.io is an amazing tool. Gone are the days when you need to sit next to the phone with a tape recorder. It's crazy how not pausing after a prospect is speaking can be analyzed, tracked, and used to help you improve. Now, I'm a big believer of the power of language. In particular, certain words can have a huge impact on the customer interaction. Simply saying something like, my pleasure, as opposed to your welcome, can have a big impact on your prospect's perception of you and your brand. I was inspired when I heard about how Chick-fil-A was using this as part of their strategy. If you've ever been to a Chick-fil-A, you know that when you say thank you, employees don't respond with the typical, you're welcome. Instead, you hear, my pleasure, you have a fantastic day. There is a reason Chick-fil-A employees don't say you're welcome, and it stems back to founder Truett Cathy's experience at the luxury Ritz-Carlton Hotel. This is all part of what the fried chicken chain refers to as, quote, second-mile service, meaning they want to not only meet customer expectations, but exceed them. It's amazing how saying my pleasure can leave you feeling amazing after an experience at Chick-fil-A, but hearing you're welcome after going to Burger King can make you feel like shit about yourself. 
Using a tool like Gong.io allows you to analyze the language your team is using. It can tell you if the words you are saying are generating happy customers or pissing people off without even meaning to. I love how Martin and his team is using Gong.io almost as if it's an upgraded version of his boss's tape recorder back in the old days. It's giving them amazing insights on how to better communicate with their customers. Now back to Martin. What are you doing from a marketing automation perspective in the middle of the funnel? I'm going to assume there's something going on there. Yeah, there is. So let me be clear here, Dan, because I think everybody who, who's listening to this hopefully is very much aware that the response rates and, and conversion rates are really, they're really tied very closely to time, right? So if somebody comes to your, your site and fills out that form and you really have a five minute window where that person is going to be available and interested to speak to you or to respond. So for us, it's, we, we integrate our, on the back end, we're connected to Slack. So we're notifying and round robining, round robining, is that the right word? Yeah, round robining, robining. Round robining. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing that and it's going to the SDR so that they can follow up pretty quickly. And, you know, we uh, monitor that pretty closely. And essentially, when they come in, they're doing very quick uh, research. We have um, that set up as well. So we're using Clearbit to enrich and, you know, filling in different data points and, and helping to qualify and score that, that uh, contact very quickly. And the rep is following up and enrolling that contact into uh, some automated communications, right? So if it's a high value contact, we'll call them directly. And if it's, you know, somebody who, you know, we're kind of on the fence about, we might just enroll them into an email sequence, you know, four or five touches and try to reach out to them over LinkedIn, right? So those are, you know, different tasks that will be set up automatically. But that communication is really what's important for us, making sure that we're getting in front of them right away and that they have the ability then to schedule next steps with that rep. Yeah. And it sounds like you can provide a lot of value to these people and really help them understand what's going on in the marketplace. So it can be easy to get their attention. Now, you had made a comment in regards to like disqualification and stuff like that, like, and different touch points. How are you tracking all these different touch points that the customer is doing to you, like visiting the website, coming in through that form, as well as the things you're doing to them? Is there anything that's connecting all of these things all together? Yeah, this is what I, I'm most passionate about coming into the company, right? And I think I think hopefully most marketers and salespeople are really, this is important to them, right? Is uh, just being able to track that customer journey, understanding what's effective and, and having clean data, right? Which is really hard to come by. So what we're using is, uh, so I'll drill down to this a little bit more if you want, but essentially we're using Segment right now to connect our, our different apps, platforms, touch points, you know, so that Segment is a, was just acquired actually by Twilio. They have... Uh, the ability to normalize some schema and dump it into a data warehouse uh, for us so that we can create visualizations out of that and query that data. Now, in Segment, an amazing customer data platform. They're, they're the category king, and yeah, they got acquired by uh, Twilio for like $3 billion, which is a great exit for them. Are you using Segment to track all the interactions on the website? And then, because you had mentioned you're dumping the data into a data warehouse, but are you using Segment to power like HubSpot and Google Analytics and all the things? No, so essentially we're using it as the go-between, the, you know, to pull data and, uh, like I said, to, to normalize that schema, right? Make sure that we're able, the, the platforms are communicating. The one way that we do use it is uh, we will try to pass a user ID across, you know, the different platforms. And so we'll use Google Analytics uh, to create that user ID, and then we'll try to associate that with different contacts. And uh, Segment really helps us do that so that we have, a, as best as possible, we have a singular view, which is obviously a big challenge now with a lot of the changes that have happened from, you know, Apple and different platforms out there. 
Yeah, interesting. So segment is really kind of connecting all the things together, but you're not using it as your primary pipe. So it's not powering Google Analytics per se, but it does sound like you're using Google Analytics and this is how you're measuring your marketing effectiveness. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So we use the, a lot of the marketing suite from Google, you know, Tag Manager and obviously making sure that we're, we're um, the UTM, you know, it's still kind of the, what is it, the foolproof method right now, for whatever reason, it, it still works most of the time. So uh, we put a, this is going to sound pretty primitive compared to everything else, but we just have a spreadsheet where basically our team will go in, they'll they'll log four or five, uh, you know, information into four or five columns. So what they're able to put in those columns is limited. And it spits out a, uh, you know, tracking code for them. So that way, you know, we have, uh, you know, because again, Dan, again, I think most people would, when they jump into an analytics and you see, you know, 5,000 different sources and one's uh, LinkedIn with a capital L, one's LinkedIn with a lowercase L, one's a misspelling, right? You get pretty frustrated because you don't have a holistic view of that, those uh, different sources and whatnot, just as an easy example. So we just want to make sure that there's no problems there. So we've, we've talked about some of the big boys in your stack, right? So like you're using Segment, which by far one of my favorites. You got Google Analytics, Google Tag Manager, Salesforce, and HubSpot CRM, which I think is so fascinating to say the least. Uh, you got Gong going on and all these other cool tools. What am I missing, right? Like, are there any smaller tools that you're super, super proud of that are in the middle of the stack? I am a sucker for Lucky Orange. You know, most people Ooh. that I talk to that, that use heat mapping, they go a lot of different routes. And, and unfortunately, Lucky Orange isn't, isn't mentioned, but I really like it because you can look at the user activity in aggregate. So you can look at a heat map and see scrolls or, or uh, where their mouse is moving, what they're clicking on, things like that. But then you can also look at individual anonymous recordings and, you know, for more of a qualitative analysis and figure out what's happening on this page is, you know, why aren't people moving through it? How are they interacting with this content? What are they focused on? You know, and especially if you want to create a unique segment there, which is where there's value, say, let me, sh- let me look at a couple of recordings for people who have converted. And that just, you know, gives you a whole nother, uh, another view of um, how people are using your site. For those of you who haven't discovered the power of heat maps, I highly recommend implementing something like Lucky Orange or Hotjar to see how users are really browsing your website. Being able to quickly see and understand where your webpage has the most scrolls or clicks is an amazing opportunity to make changes. You can quickly learn how to drive users toward the places you want them to go. Also, using Lucky Orange's recording feature, you can watch recordings of how visitors are moving through your site. This is almost like spying on your site visitors, but can give you compelling insights into issues with your website. Okay, back to Martin to hear where he thinks the future of the stack is headed. Now, when you think about like the future of the stack, right? Like, where do you think we're headed? Like, what's in the future for us? It's a good question because depending on who you ask, I think everybody has a different need, so they're going to speak to it a little bit differently, right? But where I think we're going is trying to remove remove uh, the human error component of this. Is we can be very specific there and say, you know, if we look at Gong, the insights that Gong is giving me are no different than what if I if I took a few hours and I looked into it. There's obviously the risk of me making a mistake there and that time that's spent. So it's doing something very simple. It's spitting out feedback that is very easy for me to digest and there's no uh, risk of error. And I think that, you know, kind of across the board, that's what a lot of these components are are going after is, you know, they became extremely complicated and now they're going in some ways to try to simplify what we can do, right? Like, what do you want to accomplish? And let's try to minimize the uh, the amount of effort it's going to take for you to accomplish that, right? Like the personalization and communications, that's going to be, you know, carry over, you know, the different channels and that's going to be a big one in the future. And how do you do that at scale, right? So 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I definitely think it's an interesting look at removing the human error, right? Like I think a lot of times when we think about artificial intelligence or machine learning, you know, we're all thinking about efficiency and it's smarter than me and all these things, but I never really looked at it from the remove human error perspective. And I think that's a really, really good point to bring up is because that's what Gong does, right? It helps you remove the human's error um, because we're flawed. That's the easiest way to say it. I mean, even if, uh, you know, it was intelligent enough because that's what AI will do, right? It'll be intelligent enough to know when to introduce that human error into the equation so that it's natural, right? Like where our human error will make us look like morons. And in that situation, you know, like I heard a couple of years ago, uh, a study where somebody, you know, created a workflow, maybe it was three years ago, and they, they intentionally didn't put an attachment that they said was in an email, right? So then the follow-up email said, oh, sorry, I forgot to include the attachment. Made it look very human, right? But it wasn't. Uh, but it was automated, right? And that's just, uh, you know, it's a little example. It took somebody time to think of that where AI might be able to pull, you know, some of those elements into it naturally and, and improve uh, response rates. Well, Marty, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for being able to jump on with me. Uh, I've I've learned uh, stuff from this episode, so I really appreciate you being able to meet with me. Yeah, likewise, Dan. This has been great. I uh, appreciate you taking the time with me today. I find what Martin is saying about artificial intelligence and errors so fascinating. We need to make our machines seem like they're human, and this means incorporating the typical mistakes that humans make. This makes them appear more human. There's a great example of this that went viral back in 2018 when Google demonstrated their AI assistant scheduling a hair appointment. So what you're going to hear is the Google assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. Hello, how can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Listen to the voice. The slight hesitations from the assistant. The ums are inserted. If we remove all the errors like ums and hesitations, this would not sound like a real human and would sound a little too perfect and possibly throw the salon owner off and make them confused. Now, don't get me wrong. Even as a human, I know how to make it look like I made a mistake when in reality, it was all part of the plan. Just like the failed attachment example from Marty, I've been known to cold email people with an obvious mistake. As an example, I've emailed people telling them that they use Amplitude for analytics when in reality, they use Mixpanel. When the prospect gets the email, though, they feel compelled to correct me, and they reply back informing me that they use Mixpanel. Now, my goal is to simply get a reply, and because most of us have an obsessive-compulsive nature to correct others to assert our superiority, I got a reply and ultimately closed the deal, all because I purposely put a mistake in my email. Naturally, artificial intelligence is going to come up a lot over the course of this show, but that's going to be it for now. Join me each week on The Stack. Now, because you're interested in this podcast, the natural next step is to get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit. And you can do so by going to buildcoolshit.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Hold up. 